Following up from episode 25, we are joined by Tom Brearley, aka X5315. X5 was the other half of Twitter fallback in 2009, and in this episode, he tells us the story of its creation and development from his point of view and how it's affected his life and career since. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Severin. And today we are also joined by Tom Brilly, who is also at X5315. Would you like to be X5 or X5315 or Tom or? You can call me Tom or X5. <laughs> and hello, everybody. <laughs> Great. If you cast your mind back, listeners, to episode 25, where we talked about Twitterfall, uh, you will remember the name Tom Brearley because he w- is the co-writer of, co-founder of Twitterfall. And we recorded that episode and then Tom messaged me, obviously on Twitter, being like, I mean, you could have asked me to come on. I would have talked <laughs> about Twitterfall, <laughs> um, which yeah. was a really good point. So we figured a follow-up episode to talk a little bit more about it and about the story from your point of view, I think is really interesting. And in fact, maybe that is where we should start with how, you know, I talked in the previous episode about like Macworld and how I, what I remember about like why I started building it and stuff like that. And I touched on, you know, messaging you and asking you for help and stuff like that. But what do you sort of remember about those early days of of how we started? Yeah. So I remember, I think, when you first messaged me and I like helped to come up with a design, which I think at the time used a bunch of like transparent GIFs, yes. which was totally not performant. It was terrible. <laughs> it was like on a not really fast laptop, it would just scroll. It yeah. was just like, yeah. And so it went from that. And then I think we realized after the Macworld thing, after we got like a little, I think like, was it a few hundred views yeah. or something like that? we kind of realized maybe we should keep going with this. Like we want to build our own thing to use Twitter with and that kind of thing. And so I guess we just started adding features. And like, as as you mentioned, like before it began with just the trends Mm. and then we were like, wouldn't it be cool if you could have custom searches? So then we like had to work out how to do that. And looking back on it, I think it snowballed very quickly. Mm. I think it turned from, like this little tiny thing into this is what we were doing every night and every weekend. Yeah. And I remember like I had a whiteboard in my effectively dorm room and it was just like, okay, why don't we add this feature? Why don't we add this feature? Why don't we add this feature? I remember, as you mentioned before, we went down to the telegraph. That was interesting. I think that was like the first time anything like that ever really happened to me. And then I guess from there, you know, we would show up in blog posts and mm. stuff like that, like top 25 Twitter apps that you should be using now. <laughs> and like, we kept adding features and adding features and adding features. And I think one of the things about back in those days was that kind of sense of feature creation and feature development across all of the Twitter apps. Yeah. Like, you know, there was a very thriving Twitter client ecosystem that we don't necessarily have today. And mm. I think a lot of them were adding features that other people just didn't have Mm. and at a really breakneck pace as well right like it like everything moved really really quickly and it was it was like a it was almost like a 
a race, you know, like who can add this, who can do that, who can do that? Yeah, I actually, I think I remember when Twitter added the ability to post Geo mm. and we had a working version within like an hour yeah. where I had like somehow patched together a working version of Google Maps with Twitter for, and then that allowed you to like only search within a certain area mm. and things like that. And yeah. it was this, <laughs> this very rapid thing where as soon as Twitter announced a new feature, we would go and like try and build it and add a new thing, yeah. and things like that. And I, and I think some of the things that we built as well, now looking back at them, were kind of very obvious, but it's interesting that we never came to the same conclusions as say like Twitter did today. Yeah. So for example, like image previews mm. was a thing where, I think you mentioned this before, but you can like hover over an image link and we would show you the preview of the image only while you hovered over it. Yeah. Whereas like you look at Twitter now and it's like, it's like the timeline is just images. Yeah, there's images everywhere. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And like we added um, like, I guess two types of muting at the time. It was just like plain keyword mm. muting, which obviously Twitter has added, has added now as part of like abuse efforts and things like that. And then we also allow people to mute apps. Yes, we did. And that was because you had those like auto posting things. And that was like a, such a huge trend on Twitter was that people would have something set up to auto share like... Foursquare. Yeah, like Foursquare check-ins. And in fact, Foursquare was the main one, wasn't it? Like everyone tweeted yeah. their check-ins on Foursquare and it would flood your timeline. And it was so annoying. And so we added the, we had the ability where you could be like, do not show me tweets posted from Foursquare. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then when like businesses started contacting us and being like, hey, we want Twitter fall, but on our website, we want Twitter fall, mm-hmm. but on here, whether that was the Telegraph or... I think we did like work for ITV. Mm. I know we were talking to Google at one point. Obviously we did work for like MTV and the Fox thing that you mentioned previously. And then there were other random websites. Yeah. Like I remember it now. Like there was some website that didn't really want anything to do with Twitter, which wanted live comments. Yeah, I remember that. That was, yeah. And it was just like, well, you kind of did something live in real time and, and yeah. we want it, but for our own comments on our website, not for Twitter. Right. And so for example, like we, did that yeah but like looking back on it i mean i i you know i think you we, we've talked about this before but like we were two students who did not know how to set up and run a business yeah <laughs> and so we did this work for no money yeah and it also to some extent i don't think we did like necessarily a very professional job, job of it it was <laughs> yeah right you know what i mean like it was just two students kind of playing yeah with technology and so we kind of made a little bit of money. It wasn't a lot. Most of it was donations, some like a little bit here and there from kind of these companies. And we made enough money. And then Twitter announced its uh, developer conference, which was going to be like April, 2010. And I think we both talked about it and I was like, I'll go to that. You know, why not? Looking back on it, there was no real need to go to that. It was kind of that. I think that conference was where they announced that they had bought Tweety or like it was, it was announced that they had bought Tweety the night before the conference. Yeah. And so that conference, to some extent, was more of a panic amongst app developers being like, here we go, everything's over, no more fun now. And I think there was a lot of that kind of thing. But So I remember going to that. And the talks were interesting. They announced things like promoted tweets in search, how they were going to do like annotations. I don't know if you remember this. It was like oh, yeah. a feature where you could like add any metadata to a tweet. The fun thing that I know about that is that was actually fully implemented and then never shipped. <laughs> like 
they finished it. It never shipped. Yeah. Wow. It was interesting meeting a lot of these people who like we'd only ever interacted either by the phone or like IM or DMs or email and that kind of thing. Because I think there have been a few times where we'd had to interact with Twitter because Twitter wanted people to work on Twitter related mm -hmm. things for companies and they would come to us. So it was interesting meeting those. And then while while I was there, you know, they were very much like, you know, we should probably hire you guys. Like I remember you and I used to joke, like, if someone offered us fifty thousand dollars, we'd take it. And we yeah. just like sell it, right? And we were yeah. always like, Why can't they just buy us for ten million dollars or whatever? <laughs> yeah. uh, like a little pet project. Um, and I don't think an acquisition was ever on the books, but they were definitely talking about interviewing us. And I remember my flight home was supposed to be on the Saturday. On the Friday, I got an email from the head of recruiting that was like, hey, let me know when you get back to the UK and we can try and like work out how we're going to interview you guys, all that kind of thing. Mm. And then what happened was my flight got canceled because an earthquake erupted <laughs> or as airlines like to call it an act of God which I'm not saying necessarily it's an act of God for me working at Twitter, but there we go. <laughs> and then Monday, I think over the weekend, I got a, a DM. I think it was from Kevin Wheel, who's now the VP of product at Instagram, interestingly enough. Oh, interesting. And he was just like, come hang out in the office. There's free food, free drinks, free Wi-Fi. San Francisco is a ridiculously expensive place. That way you'll save money. We know you're trapped. And I went in and Monday I emailed the recruiter and I was like, hey, I know we talked about like when I get back to the UK, but like I'm here. And then the Tuesday and the Wednesday, they interviewed me. Thursday, I think I flew home. And then I think I, that like that weekend, mm. I think I got, I got the job off of maybe Monday or maybe like the next wow. week. That's really rapid. It's like for, yeah, it's I, very I, fast. I, I can't imagine that the hiring process at Twitter is now as rapid as it was back no. then. <laughs> absolutely absolutely not like that's crazy they must have been really desperate to hire i don't mean I, wait hang on that, yeah, comes that, did come, that did come out a bit negative what i mean is like to move so quickly on hiring yeah you know it's kind of like like they want to move really fast it's not so much that they're desperate it's just that it's like there's nothing holding them back there's not like you know there's not loads of things that they need to sort out or if there are they're, they're moving them to make it work to turn something around in a week um is, is yeah. crazy I mean, I think the other thing from my perspective as well was that like, I think it, because of the limited time aspect of it, yeah. like I think they just threw an interview panel together. One of the interesting things about that now is that no one who interviewed me still works at Twitter. <laughs> it, so I've, I've, listeners, I've now worked at Twitter for seven <laughs> years, nearly. Yeah. Originally, I started contra contracting from the UK once I graduated. And then uh, I moved to San Francisco in November. It's nearly seven years now. So no one I who interviewed me works at twitter anymore in terms of tenure I'm, I'm around like number 18 in the company it's a company of like several thousand people and i'm like yeah. the 18th most tenured employee oh my god it's pretty incredible <laughs> that's pretty cool that's pretty cool that's crazy isn't it wow yeah but but I, I look back on building twitter fall and the thing i really think about a lot is just how we have to do everything from scratch yeah, yeah. So we we were talking about this, right, like before, just before we started recording. And I think it's really interesting that that's the kind of thing that you remember versus the things that I remember. You know, when we were talking about it in the previous episode, I talked a lot about the work that we did and sort of what it led to and some of the stories I remember about those kinds of things. Because for me, that was 
that's what I remember because that's what relates to me now, you know, and the work that I do now and where I am now and the circles that I continued to move in was very much related to those early days of Twitterfall. Whereas for you, it's kind of like the act of actually building Twitterfall and doing that work is what ended up being the kind of starting point for you rather than the things that we got to do and the people that we spoke to short of the fact that you went to the developer conference. But it's kind of like that that process, I think, for you could have even happened even if you hadn't gone to that, right? Like, I think you probably would have spoken to Twitter about working for them. And that was kind of the, the you know, your, that would have been your inevitable thought process. Yeah. But yeah, like, what were the what were the things kinds of things we were talking about that we had to do ourselves? It's really interesting. So, I mean, I think, like, one thing, I mean, we're talking about web technology back in 2009, yeah. right? Like, 2009, 2010. I remember... Uh, you want to deploy JavaScript? Cool. Concatenate all your JavaScript files together and then upload them to a server. Yeah. Right. There was no, like, we didn't have a CDN. There was no build process for JavaScript. Yeah. We, we spent a bunch of time just, like, optimizing ridiculous things in JavaScript. And then, like, to be able to optimize them, you have to be able to measure them. So we had to build ways of measuring how we would optimize, our, like, the code. We had our own, like where you built that our own sort of little homegrown benchmarking tool that let us take two pieces of code and say, well, which one is the faster one for what we want to do? Now you would, all of that knowledge is known. And also it doesn't matter as much because performance is so much better that you don't need to optimize those tiny things. You now need to optimize much larger things. Whereas back then it was like, if we have a big string and we need to put it together and add stuff to it, what's the fastest way of doing it? Now you wouldn't even give that a thought. Right. Like JavaScript, to some extent, has has traveled so far in the mm. last like decade. It's it's yeah. it's actually pretty incredible. Mm. And then we had to do things like user research. Yeah. So we wanted to know which users are using which settings because I think one of the things that did happen was we just kept adding features. It was just like feature after feature after feature after feature, and then we would add setting after setting after setting, and we ended up in this place where. I can't remember how many options there must have been, but we must have had like eight different options, each of which had like four different settings. Yeah. And we were like, I wonder if anyone actually uses any of these because sometimes it requires (laughs) us to know like, oh, they're on 8,000 instead of 2,000. Therefore, we need to run this bit of code differently. And so we ended up building like user research thing that would tell us when people change settings and what settings they used and things like that overwhelmingly it showed that like no one used any of the settings yeah (laughs) (laughs) everyone just kept the defaults and it was like one thing that people changed it's pretty interesting to hear you guys saying like you pretty much just wanted to carry on building features like that's sort of like where the the passion was like Mm. it was just constantly adding to the product um but Mm. looking back of it would you maybe have like almost made the base product differently would you have like sort of implemented in a different way or maybe like not have bothered with some things or hmm that's a good question because it just sounds like you kept throwing spaghetti against a wall to see what kind of stuck and with with hindsight like (laughs) what what did stick and what were you like why did we throw that in the first place correct me if i'm wrong tom but i think part of it was like we would get a lot of requests for features and a lot of people you know a lot of users would would ask us for things and because we were so new to all of this and we had no idea what to do it was kind of like if one person asked us to add something we would add it yeah yeah that sounds great <laughs> and now it's like that we know that that's a terrible way to design software you know by just yeah. 
building everything that your all of mm. your users wants. Yeah. I, but as for like things I would do differently, I don't know. What do you think? I think one thing about if I was building it today is that the world we would build it in today is very different to the world we built it in at the time. Mm. One of the things I think you mentioned in the last episode about this was that when we first started, you could read the top 10, all the tweets about the top 10 trends and just have that going yeah. all the time. And in fact, the Telegraph did, right? That was that was what right. they had on their on their projector. <laughs> right. And and that was fine. And you could read every tweet and you would know what was going on. I remember uh, the night Michael Jackson died. It showed up on Twitter trends. I saw a bunch of tweets about it. I went to BBC News, nothing. Yeah. And I, I remember I went, I, I think I went to like the corner shop after I had found that out. And I was just like, no one else knows this yet. Mm. Right? Like, but things like that. Whereas I think now, we would like if we, if we were rebuilding it today. We would never have the emphasis on the trends that we had. Yeah. Back then, I think there's probably a few ways that we would re-implement things, looking mm. at what exists now. But I think for the most part, it was a it was a very organic growth of the product. Yeah. I guess did we really have any kind of idea of direction with what we were doing with Twitterfall, or did were we just kind of like doing it? It was just kind of like we built stuff. So so. I think one philosophical thing that we went with, and I've just remembered it now, was that <laughs> we saw ourselves as like the antithesis of TweetDeck. Yes. Whereas TweetDeck believed in separating everything into multiple streams, and yeah. you would just have to watch multiple streams simultaneously. We saw ourselves as, no, there should be a single stream. Yeah. And everything should just flow into it. Yeah. You know, everything should just flow down the Twitter fall. Well done. Very good. Nice. <laughs> Why are you in marketing? <laughs> and I think that was the philosophy. And so to some extent, it was about how do we get more things into the central feed? Mm. But it, there was no real product philosophy other than... No. I mean, that obviously came later, like mm. after we basically finished the product as it is today. Yeah. And I guess kind of the core aspect of what it was didn't really change. Like the core bit of the product was the fact that it was a Twitter fool, you know, like stuff like exactly like you say, like stuff started at the top and moved its way down. And it was kind of like that was the central point. And at the time, and this is something you brought up, which I think is really interesting. That worked really well versus TweetDeck for getting people to understand Twitter. Because TweetDeck, there's such a huge barrier to understanding Twitter by using TweetDeck. And at the time, there was also a massive barrier to understanding Twitter by using Twitter.com because the onboarding process was bad. Something that is still, you know, a core. I know is is a core focus of like, you know, signing people up to Twitter and retaining them, and you know, getting them to understand what it is. At the time, no one knew what Twitter was. Like, no one, even people who knew of Twitter, didn't know what it was. Um, and I think that Twitterfall was a huge part of helping people generally understand what twitter yeah. was I, I think there's definitely an aspect to i'm like the the default version of our product for so long was you go to twitterfall.com and tweets start falling down the page exactly yeah and immediately you knew like you could you could kind of go oh these people are talking about these things yeah and like that showed you, oh, it's people talking about things. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of, especially the early Twitter onboarding process, TweetDeck's onboarding process was very much, okay, sign up, 
cool. Now that you've got your email address, here's your empty timeline. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, go find people to follow. Like, here's maybe five people you maybe know. (laughs) Right. And I think that, to some extent, pushing people and showing them what Twitter was about very early Mm. kind of led to a pretty good initial kind of viewing of what the of Twitter the product was. Yeah. And so going back to like joining Twitter and being hired by them and stuff like that, did people know about Twitter for when you joined? Like did people, did, if you introduced yourself and you said like what you'd done or something like that, like did people know? Um, some people did, some people didn't. And that was interesting. So like, I remember actually when I was in San Francisco and I, said who I was to Ev Williams, who was the CEO at the time. And he was like, oh, cool. And he obviously had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> but then, especially when I moved to San Francisco, I would walk around the office and occasionally I would see it. So I like Twitter would just be on a screen in the office searching for fail whale or whatever, so that they mm. would know if people were seeing more fail whales than normal, or <laughs> there would be an event. And occasionally people would put two and two together and realize that was me. Yeah, but that was that was very interesting because that was to some extent like user research where you go in like qualitative user research where you actually see people using the product. Yeah, and you're like, oh, why do they never double click this thing? Yeah. Why do they never enter text at the top? Why do they never do that? Like, we added that option two years ago. Why don't they use it yet? And then yeah, and things like that. I think that was it's very interesting. Mm. It's very interesting, like how like seeing people use the product that you build. Yeah, I think that's made extra cool from the fact that it wasn't built from a business point of view. It was built from a, you know passion, like something that you enjoyed doing. Like you didn't go ahead and be contracted by someone to do this. And then when you're walking around your new job, which has been helped to get by the fact that you've created this, seeing people use it, it's got to be pretty fulfilling. Yeah, I, I agree. With that. I, th- I think one of the things that was actually very interesting was the fact that we were never really a business. So I, when I tell people this, sto- this story, oftentimes they'll remember it as you and I did a startup. Yeah. Which is not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you and I made a website. Yeah. And people wanted to give us money. <laughs> yeah. So we made a company. Yeah. We quote, like, unquote. We set up a company by going to the bank and we were like, so people want to give us money and we probably should put it somewhere. <laughs> and it probably right. needs to not be your bank account or my bank account. <laughs> right, exactly. And also that these people would find it really weird if you were paying one of us. Like, it's like why, you know, like they wanted to be paying a company, not a person. <laughs> yeah. and But I think that like that led to some decisions which looking back on them could have changed things and like potentially made us more money. So one of the ones... Um, that I've talked, I think, before about is, so we have this idea of tips in the product where mm. periodically, like once every hour or something, we would just put, drop this tip into the timeline of tweets that would be like, hey, do you use Twitter for regularly? Maybe you should download our iOS app. Or do you use mutes in Twitter for? Have you tried muting an app or something like that? And what we basically created was promoted tweets. Yeah, just we did a really bad job of it (laughs) Um, (laughs) because at the time those were like all generated just like in our server and we didn't know we never tweeted them or anything like that it was just purely like we dropped some text into the timeline yeah and if we had actually tweeted those used the real tweets when we put them into the stream 
we probably would have been able to get like a lot more reach, a lot more mm. marketing and stuff like that. But we never did because it never occurred to us that like that's every now and then we talked about the fact that we were kind of building an ad a system for displaying ads right in Twitterfall, and we 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 really ummed and ahed with that I, yeah. I think and i'm glad that we never did because i think it would have been it probably would have been a bad thing and twitter would have very quickly stopped it as well and in fact we did get to that point where eventually twitter kind of firmed up their sort of terms and conditions of how you could use their system and their api and one of the things was like do not fake tweets do not embed tweets in a timeline that aren't real tweets and we were breaking that and we actually just carried on breaking it <laughs> for, for quite a while before we were like okay yeah fine maybe we should stop yeah <laughs> but if we'd been a bit quicker we could have got something out of that before you know we were sort of in so many ways we were ahead of twitter because twitter were just coping with scaling and deciding what they wanted to be and who they, and how they wanted to do it that actually you know they were playing catch up to us and we could have stayed ahead and done things and sort of been a little bit sneakier um, in some ways and sort of made a bit more out of that, I think. Yeah. But then we never did just because it wasn't, that's not what we were doing. right? Yeah. And I guess that's part of it, isn't it? Like you say, it's not a business. It wasn't a startup. We were two people building a website and that was the Great. core philosophy. And you mentioned in the last episode quite a few times how you really weren't advised well or at all. It's something that you, you almost kind of got taken advantage of quite a bit. And maybe if that hadn't gone that way and you'd have thought about it more, it could have gone very differently. Because like you say, you were quite ahead of the curve. That's potentially true. Do you think that you that there was a lack of advice there? That's always something that I tell people and that I think, but it's interesting to know if that's something that you agree with or disagree with. I don't think I ever thought, until we we talked about it that time, I don't think I've ever considered it to be like a lack of advice so much as, uh, I mean, I guess it is, but I always started thinking about, okay, how do we make this bigger? What's the next step for this thing? And like, mm. you know, like we joked about Twitter requiring us, but then we also, I think once or twice talked about like venture capital, mm. like how do we take funding? And that was always, that was how that conversation went was like, how do we, find people to give us money like how do we take funding how do we even find people to talk to about that yeah and i guess to some extent the symptom from the cause of that is that we didn't have any business advice yeah but i was only ever really seeing the symptom of how do we progress this product how do we progress yeah. this effort that's a really good way of looking at it i know exactly what you mean it's like it's it is kind of advice but also it's that also lack of knowledge or understanding or any kind of yeah. you know thought about exactly like you say like the way that we knew to make progress was build more features yeah. and you know like do more stuff and that was our progress and we right. we didn't have knowledge or advice or or help with how do we progress the other side of things exactly that and it's just instead we asked the questions like well how do we do that yeah, yeah. interesting and, and and i think obviously having moved to like silicon valley and san francisco now i would have a much better idea on how to yeah. do that like okay. In San Francisco, anyone with an idea can get $500,000 worth of funding for anything. Yeah. You know, you just have to send an email to someone kind of thing. Whereas back then, I think it was just totally unclear how we would even 
think about doing that. I guess also there is an element of of time and and culture in the fact that we were in the UK and not only that, but we were also in the north. Yeah, you were away from everything. Mm. There were other worlds that perhaps if we had been somewhere else, like if we were in San Francisco at the time when we were doing it, like if we were at a university in San Francisco or whatever, then maybe that would have progressed slightly differently or maybe not. But I'm not saying, I'm not sort of blaming it on things because it sounds like that's what I'm doing. And that's not the case because I think part of it is also, as we've said, we weren't building a business. We were building a website like, and that was our philosophy at the same time. We did entertain the ideas and the thoughts and how do we grow? How do we do better things? But that was never our goal from the outset. It wasn't like, this is where we start. Um, And fundamentally we were building a website. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think to some extent we have what is very often like the reverse problem of a lot of venture capital or Silicon Valley companies, which is mm. that we had a product that we loved and we built and we knew worked and then we had no business. Yeah. Right. And we had customers. We just had no business. Whereas I think a lot of kind of unsuccessful startup kind of things, they always like go, oh, we're going to make a startup to build this product. And then like they do three rounds of prototypes and realize no one is ever going to buy this product. Yeah. (laughs) And then the business kind of crashes. Yeah. The legacy of that is that the product lives on, right? Like there was no company to fold. There was no company to fail. There was no business that, oh no, if we don't get funding by next week, the website will go down. It was like, yeah it has literally infinite runway like there is no there is no end the website will carry on working as long as like i pay i put a small amount of money in the meter every month <laughs> right yeah exactly this that's a really interesting point i've never i've never really thought of that like well, the fact that it is still running for that reason well final question then do you ever see anything changing in the future for twitterfall is there any new 2017 plus updates coming uh <laughs> come on you you beat the curve 10 years ago beat the curve now well it's interesting isn't it because we have tried to rebuild twitterfall at some point in the last like five years i would say and it's never really come of anything because actually there is so much functionality and actually replicating a whole bunch of that in a way that wouldn't alienate people is difficult um, and just by some kind of fluke everything sort of works and carries on working and I think also part of it is that Twitterfall, despite the fact that people weirdly still use it, it is an application from another era. And I think that the things that if you built a, if you built a new app now that did what Twitterfall does, Twitter would, and it, and it grew, to, either no one would use it or Twitter would also probably tell you to get stuffed and stop yeah. doing it because it's, you're replicating core Twitter functionality, you're which is against their terms them. of service. Like you are actually breaking their terms of service a little, you're shaking your heads. You are. It's no, it's, it's not against the terms of service. I think this is one, I, yeah, like one of the things we talked about before was about like, what is it like to work at Twitter when there's so much outside external media? Yeah, And I think that is a very popular misconception, which is that Twitter does, it is not against the terms of service to build a Twitter client. Explicitly, it is not against the terms of service. I think the truth is, is that, and this is a problem that I think we've talked about before, um, where, you know, Twitter releases a new feature and then an hour later, we have to mad scramble to be the first app to like add geotagging or, or whatever. The problem is, is that those clients are always going to lag behind, mm, like Twitter yeah. being able to release them. 
And there's a mix of that and then a mix of audience and a mix. And by audience, what I mean is that there was a time in Twitter's history where the vast majority of users basically didn't know they were using Twitter. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is they were using TweetDeck or Echofarm or Uber, Uber Twitter. Was that the one on BlackBerry? Oh, I've no idea. Yeah, God. Yeah. Don't know. And that was their whole portal. There was not like, they, they didn't go to twitter.com. They didn't use the, there was no Twitter official app at the time. And the problem with that is that gives each of these like developers a lot of power. Mm. Um, and it gives them an ability to kind of go, okay, instead of just posting to Twitter now, we're also going to post to our own proprietary Twitter clone. And then you can kind of start to siphon off users, things like that. Seismic kind of did that, didn't they? Um, Seismic was like a multi-platform tweet deck that sort of started to move people away from Twitter. Like you could post to other things and it, it sort of felt like Twitter was very like kind of behind the scenes for something like Seismic, um, which is exactly that. Right. And so in order to take control of this situation, Twitter decided... And I, and I say this saying Twitter decided, but obviously I worked there at the time. We decided, <laughs> I guess. I'll say Twitter decided. The, the best way to counteract this was to basically limit the number of users an app could have. Yes. Right. And so if you were to build Twitter for today, the maximum number of users it could have would be about 100,000, I think, is what yeah. the number was last time I saw it. So just correction there. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but also there's things like... Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I wasn't even thinking about the the limits there, um, which is an interesting point. But also, I guess what it what I mean is that the API that Twitter provides is there to make things that do something, for want of a better word, interesting with Twitter. Like they're just like you use it to do something that augments Twitter. You don't use it to build something that is twitter or that is a a substitute for twitter.com that's not really what it's there for and as a result nowadays especially with the you know back then when you talk about like them adding geolocation to tweets they added it to the api before they really added it to twitter.com like it was it was like api first developers could use stuff before twitter implemented it themselves in their own things Sure. Now it's the other way around, right? Like things will be implemented. So, you know, there'll be things that are features on twitter.com and in the official apps that you can't get as a developer because you don't need them if you're augmenting Twitter with interesting things. You need them if you want to replicate all the functionality, but that is not what Twitter want you to do. I get what you mean. It's not against the rules. It's just that back then they were kind of encouraging it by the way that the API was was being designed and now it's like that is not what you are encouraged to do and so as a result you are going to build what is essentially an inferior product if you started now building twitterful.com because actually you're going to struggle to even match parity or in any way with the other things that twitter make available themselves back then twitterful let you do stuff that you couldn't do on twitter.com you know and yeah. and that's the thing like image previews like muting like all of those things now Twitter does all of that stuff and it's and it's much always going to be much better than if you do it from a third party point of view. Right. Yeah. Um is there anything else that we want to that we want to talk about? Um I would also say I'm contractually obligated not to work on a competing product. 
Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> that's why dear. you haven't contributed to Twitter4.com in the last oh, I see, <laughs> seven I years. See. But it's been an interesting, like, kind of trip, you know, from a kind of outside perspective, listening to you guys talk about it. The thing that really kind of I take away is very much the case of, well, yeah, but we love doing it. Like, that was very much it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very, And I think it's something you can certainly be sort of proud of, regardless of the outcome. You know, obviously yeah. the outcome was positive for you regardless, but I think it's something to be very proud of nonetheless. And uh, yeah. 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 Actually, like, actually thinking about it, some of the business times, like the stuff where we had to do stuff for the, the business side, like whether we were working with someone or something like that, some of that was the worst part of it. Yeah. Because it was stressful and there were deadlines and stuff like that. And like having to read contracts, which like we knew nothing about. Yeah. All that kind of thing. Whereas just building the thing was definitely probably the most fun part. You could do that bit. That yeah. was easy. <laughs> Well, I mean, like you say, you say it was easy, but like, and, and we kind of touched on this before, but like, we really knew nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We were learning on our feet so much with all of that stuff, um, and just kind of guessing, guessing everything and making it up as we went along. It's interesting how challenging that made it, but also how much we still managed to do anyway. Oh, yeah. it's absolutely the best time to learn. Yeah definitely. My, my final question is completely unrelated. And that is because we talk a lot about video games um, on Octal FM, as you know, and so it wouldn't be complete without asking you what what uh, video games are you playing at the moment? Because I know that you are a bit of a gamer. So I've basically been playing Destiny 2 exclusively. I'm unsurprised. <laughs> yeah. What What is the largest Destiny poster you have? I'm sure you, you have. A, do you have a Destiny poster? Am I imagining it? We are, it's not a poster, it's, it's a piece of original art, but yeah. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in, in our living room we have a print of the Traveller. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, that's it. So I played uh, Destiny before, and now I play Destiny 2. I played a lot of Breath of the Wild, I thought that was an incredible mm, game. Yeah, definitely. That's probably one of the best video games I've ever played. Yes. Um, what do you think? What do you think of Destiny Two compared to Destiny? I think that Destiny Two is, in many ways, the spiritual successor to Destiny One as it came out in 2014. Hmm, Not okay. the game that we've left behind in 2017. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. And it did change so considerably. It did change a lot, but a lot of the transformation is on purely like quality of life things. Mm. So now you don't have to go to orbit in between places. Now the way the engrams work is much more succinct. The way that you get new packages, things like that, all of it is much smoother, much cleaner, allows you to get to top light level much quicker, all that kind of thing. And I think that that aspect of it is very good. I think the part that is missing and has led to a little saltiness in the Destiny community is that there is a lot less content now mm. because destiny that we played in 2017 had was like four raids, three raids mm. four raids, multiple end game activities, multiple things you could be doing at any time, like as well as the regular, like day-to-day -day grind and everything. It's that harsh reality of the fact that, you know, they've got all that DLC and expansion packs lined up for destiny Two, And so it's like, and instead of, building a game that is the equivalent size and then adding DLC onto that. It's like you've kind of gone back to the 
game as it was at the start is what you've got. You've got a sequel to that. You've not got a sequel to the game that you were playing, you know, a week ago you've, or two weeks ago or whatever. You've got a sequel to that original game, which is really interesting. And I guess, yeah, it's just kind of like a, because it is an actual sequel, it's not another large expansion pack or something like that. Like if you think about, it would be this, it's an interesting, perhaps to, to draw similarities to something like World of Warcraft, if they ever made a World of Warcraft 2, mm. or if they ever had made a World of Warcraft 2, you would have that same thing, right? Where like you've got this huge world where they've just added and added and added and added to the point where some of it is devoid of life because you don't even need to go there anymore, which would be the the alternative. Because if you keep adding and adding, that's going to happen. Some of that content is going to become useless and then you make World of Warcraft 2 and you go back to like, you know, a tiny number of areas and all of that stuff has gone. And it's basically the same thing has happened here. And I guess that's the counter argument that Bungie would give. It's like, well, if we just mm-hmm. keep adding stuff, then some of it is going to become pointless. And there's no, you know, it's it's not it's not useful to have it there. Yeah. But in general, in general, good, good, good vibes. From oh, I mean, I enjoy it tremendously. I think mm. the the story is much better than the first game. I think the gameplay is still some of the best FPS gameplay that exists. Mm. Classic Bungie. Um, classic. I mean, the classic Bungie. I think that the, the like to shoot a gun at some aliens, it is the best game that you can get. It's just an, <laughs> it's just an incredible feel. Maybe we should do a maybe we should do a Destiny episode, and then you can you can come on again as our resident <laughs> Destiny <laughs> experts, and we can talk all about yeah. Destiny and Destiny Two. There's a lot to unpack. Uh, yeah, I can probably do that. Lot, for there's a lot there. It's very popular. Yeah, cool. Well, um, thank you for in in the meantime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, thank Tom. Very much for joining uh, us. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Some really good insight, actually, uh, and it's been a cool, cool listening to it. I must say. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Hopefully, that applies to you listening. If you have any questions, further things that you think we should talk about, then you know, let us know. You can. Email us at show at octal.fm. You can tweet Tom. And are you still at, at, are you still X5315 on Twitter? What, can you not shorten that to X5? You know, you work there. Like, can you not that? There is already someone who has had X5. Oh, and they're active. They're too active to, to you know, bump off. <laughs> I'm sure that could be. There is someone who already has Alex. <laughs> <laughs> that is the official stance, and he sticks by it. Yeah, I see. But yeah, so go and tweet Tom at x five three one five if you want to, um, or if you want to tweet us, we're at OctalFM. And how else can you get hold of us? Um, the Facebook page. We have a Facebook page. I know that we've been talking about Twitter, but we do have a Facebook page as well where we post some stuff. Uh, thank you for joining us. I've been Gelada. I've been Sefran. And I've been X5315. Nice. Good timing there. Uh, Catch us again for another episode very soon. Bye. You not have a pun, Seth, for the end of the episode. No, I didn't think of one this time around. I could, not <laughs> not one that wouldn't just be like a real stretch and not be funny. Another, we could. It could be like another episode will fall into your into your timeline <laughs> really soon. It's not bad. That's not bad. I like That's it. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, I like that one. <laughs>
Okay, I'll like edit that in to the end. Can, can you make it so it sounds like me? <laughs> yeah. This is a really good pod for you to edit out. And all. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to leave all of this in. <laughs> My left AirPod has run out of battery. So <laughs> <laughs> After all that switching we had. Yeah. Are they charged? Are they working? <laughs>